Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand. Good morning to you all this uh, Thursday morning. Hope it's uh, nice in terms of the weather, uh, wherever you are, and uh, you can look forward to a, a pretty good and, and active sort of a day. We uh, have got cricket on the menu this morning first up, then we're following that with America's Cup sailing with uh, news coming out of that particular uh, competition yesterday. Uh, rugby after uh, 10 o'clock with uh, Tony Johnson uh, and football after 11 o'clock with uh, Rick Dog 72 otherwise known as Ricardo Ball. Uh, that is uh, the theme for the main parts of our show. The regulars like uh, the Stump Smithy, uh, of course, will be there uh, pacing for purpose and our tip for our inter-show competition too. Probably it'll be around the golfing subject, I would be imagining. Just looking forward to that. Anyway, it's uh, yeah, busy morning. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, no one ever took the tree for granted. No way. Not the late, great Sir Colin Meads. And it's hugely pleasing that South Canterbury have not taken their possession of the Meads Cup lightly either. It's been paraded around the province like the Georges Rimet itself under the watchful eye of mascots come minders Tim and Rue. Businesses, organisations, the lot are basking in the glory. Even the mayoralty have been posing trophy aloft. And why not? The deputy is the team's technical advisor. The oldies say they haven't had this feeling down there since the mid-1970s when they briefly held the Ranfurly Shield itself. Sunday's grand final win, significant, the last time a ball would be ever kicked or passed in anger on Alpine Energy Stadium because there's a multi-million dollar upgrade on the way. Hybrid turfs, wraparound embankments, state-of-the-art multi-purpose pavilion and function centre and a return to the Fraser Park tag of old. Airtel, they had between 12 and 1,500 fans at that final too. About the same audience as on a privileged day at Cup Week a little further north. It's in a happening place, that Timaru. A good news story. We always reckon our little village of Havelock North is a happening place too, but some of us are in a state of confusion because we're about to go into an upgrade of monumental proportion too. The traffic light system has us all baffled. We don't have any, never have had roundabouts, a couple of stop signs and a, a 30 k speed limit down Broadway. What is this red, orange, green? What are we driving under? It seems closer to a Bob Marley wristband than a code for a way of life. Someone please explain. We can handle the odd traffic jam down here, but don't you sense there's a massive pile-up just around the corner?
defending champions Canterbury are sitting pretty on top of the Plunkett Shield table after four games. They've uh, got a three-win-one draw record, including yesterday's gutsy victory, and it was gutsy over the Northern District side at Bay Oval. Uh, joining us now is their star bowler, uh, Matt Henry. Uh, good morning to you, Matt. Just off the plane, I understand. Hey, sorry, yeah, no, just uh, just a wee pit stop in uh, Wellington and then, then behind soon. That's a day early, so you must have done well. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a um, yeah, pretty advanced game, um, that, that's for sure. So um, when you wake up on day one, and, and like you mentioned, it was a, a really gutsy performance to, to see it out uh, yesterday. Well, it's interesting, uh, Bay Oval generally, um, it's not too bad to bat on, but this is a very low-scoring game. So uh, tell us, what, what the, was this just one pitch on the block, or are we expecting a bowling summer up there? <laughs> um, yeah, no, look, it was, a, it was definitely um, uh, helpful for the bowlers. It was just a seeming around a little bit, um, especially day one and two. But I, I think also, if, if we look at it, we, we could have probably done a little bit better with the bat in that first innings. And I think we were we talked about putting them under pressure, obviously, ending with the start that um, they've had that delayed start and everything. And we knew that if we could really put them under pressure with the ball, that we could try and kind of just expose that early season um, feel, and, and I think that um, we managed to do that and keep ourselves in the game anyway. Interesting day yesterday because uh, I, I must admit, the way wickets were falling, I, I didn't really uh, back you guys to get 59 runs uh, to win the match, let alone do it without losing a wicket. So that was quite, uh, quite well, I won't say bizarre, but in terms of the match, it was quite odd. Yeah, I, I think we, we talked about it. We, we always had belief, I think, even after uh, what was. Well, we were pretty happy with how we bowled on day one, but uh, that last partnership that they had with Carter kind of showed once the ball had softened up that um, it definitely the wicket was playing slightly different. So there were runs to be had, and it was actually just getting through that really tough period of the new ball. And we knew that, well, I mean, it wasn't ideal we lost lost those wickets, but being eight down, uh, I think we just talked about being positive and making sure that we could actually, it was about scoring runs out there. and the way Will and Cam went about their work uh, that next day, that first spell was always going to be crucial, getting through the, the first five to ten overs um, and then giving yourself actually a chance. And They just played it really well. They played really smart innings and um, we managed to take it deep. And I mean, you know what it's like in those kind of games when you're trying to defend a total like that. You kind of change the way they bowl and, and I think the guys, the, the, guys, the way the guys batted yesterday was, um, yeah, was brilliant to watch. Already this season, Matt, you've picked up four uh, four wicket bags, which is uh, fantastic. Uh, Twenty one wickets at seventeen point seven six. So uh, things must must be going pretty smoothly for you. Yeah, no, it's, it's been good. I think uh, um, everyone's just. I think we're really enjoying playing cricket and, and getting the cricket in. It's always nice, um, I suppose, having personal success. But I think as a as a group, I'm, I think it's just been it's been a, a really good time for our bowling unit. We've just been trying to. Um, I suppose applied pressure and, and just be really consistent and being able to to win win games of Plunkershire cricket you need to be taking wickets so um, thankfully we've been doing that and, and it's started uh, been a good start to our, our season. A couple of test matches coming up uh, in India. Um, obviously you're, you're home. You're not part of that group. Uh, how how hard is it sort of you know missing out just missing out all the time because uh, I mean you've had to put up with this for a long period of time. I mean if you're a, a budding young All Black or whatever, you'd have probably gone and had a contract overseas by now. But uh, from your point of view, how hard how hard is it to just keep running in? Yeah, oh, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's. I mean, it, it's probably it, it, 
like enjoying your cricket is probably the most important part of it. I think if you you get too caught up in in, in selections and that sort of thing, you you kind of go away from what you're trying to achieve and what you do. And, and then when you are getting the opportunity, you, you kind of miss out. So I think it's um, it's always been the nature of, of, of my career. It's always been kind of fighting for that spot. Um, but I've also um, played plenty of cricket for New Zealand, and, and I absolutely love being a part of the environment and 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 doing what we do. And uh, I think. Looking forward to um, this home summer, obviously, in India with the two tests. It was, would be lovely to be over there, but also understanding that it's um, going to be more of a turning nature um, and, and, and mm. spin's going to play more of a factor. So, yeah, I didn't read too much into that, and the, the communication was pretty clear. Uh, um, so there's, there's no real surprises there. So um, being here, playing cricket, is, is, a, is a good place to be right now, and, and, and I'm really enjoying it. What about your goals for the summer ahead then, Matt? Yeah, obviously we've got um, plenty of uh, um, cricket coming up domestically and, and with the Tour of India, they the, the guys don't come back till around that Christmas time. So, um, yeah, keep just keep keep going about my work. I'm really enjoying the leadership side here in Canterbury as well and, and keep developing that area of my game and, um, fingers crossed, can, can get some international cricket in, um, as well. So what's been um, what's been the secret then for Canterbury? Um, you, you got out of jail against uh, the Central Stags first up from memory, uh, and from that point on, it's been it's been you know all one way traffic. So, what has been the secret to the squad this year? Yeah, I think that game we look back at Central Districts were probably a little bit slow to adjust. Um, there was just a couple of things I think we could all uh, agree on as a bowling unit. We were a bit slow um, once we had a good start, had them six down and. And there was a period of the game where we just yeah, were a bit slow of changing our plans and, and adapting. And I think since then, we've, we've got things right. I think we talked about applying pressure and um, having that, that mentality of, of playing tough cricket. Um, and, and a lot of our guys have only had plenty of experience as well. And I think that's something that we could really draw on when we played at the Basin. And, and probably uh, tough batting conditions um, day one. I think we've lost every toss. Um, pretty much, so we've <laughs> been put into that, which has been challenging for batters, but they've always put their hand up, and I think the, the belief's probably been a big factor for us, is knowing that if we can grind things out and we can apply pressure, that we can um, we can, we can get the result we're after, and I think that's the beauty of, of our side. We've, we've always been um, strong in the Plunkett Shield, and, and we just have that confidence of um, looking to play that, that result-based cricket, trying to get that result and get over the line, and I think this last game was just probably true testament to that, the way we went about our work and had that belief after getting bowled out for 82. Um, it would have been easy to, to reflect and panic, but we, we, we talked about in the shed that, well, if, if we can repeat what we did with the ball, we'll give us a chance, and we managed to do that in the next day and, and back up uh, a big day in the dirt and, and then for our batters to score runs and, and uh, yeah, Billy and Cam at the end to show that grit and, and that belief and get the job done was uh, very, very, very good to see. And Matt, for Matt Henry, then um, I look at uh, the Christmas period, and that means Super Smash, which starts uh, about a week tomorrow. Uh, are you, you concentrating solely on on red ball cricket? You keep your your options open for all white ball cricket as well going ahead. Oh, definitely, yeah. Well, obviously, enjoy my my white ball cricket, and um, we're playing a lot of T Twenty cricket as well. So. Uh, we had a great Super Smash last year. We managed to get to the final and, and kind of just missed out. So, um, me personally, yeah, very hungry for it. And I think everyone in this team is looking forward to the Super Smash. And, and there's still that one-day cricket as well coming up uh, this summer as well. So, 
yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to White Bull and um, obviously that's our Red Bull done for, for now. Uh, so we'll be uh, straight back into the training and, and uh, get that White Bull in hand in the next couple of days. Matt, obviously, uh, you know, we've had a lot of analysis since the T20 World Cup final uh, loss to Australia. You knew, you know all those guys uh, very well within the group. Um, yeah, how did you read the situation, uh, the final and the tournament overall from uh, our point of view? Yeah, I thought that the guys did great. I, I think, as you'd expect, the, the way that the, the guys played their cricket and, and adapted to each situation was, was really good and, and I mean, it was, yeah, I think all the wickets changed so much over there, as you know, and, and, and the way that we could, the, the brand that they played and, and got their way to that final was brilliant. And even the final itself, obviously the, the result didn't go our way, but the, the way the guys played, there's a lot of guys that will take a lot of confidence from, from that tournament moving forward. And it's a quick turnaround until the next tournament as well. So, um, yeah, pretty gutting not to get across the line, but... Um, there'll still be a lot of positives to take out of the tournament. 19 out of 20 games, uh, they say, were won by the side chasing. Um, mm. what, uh, that's odd, isn't it? I mean, that, uh, in, a, in a tournament of that nature over that period of time, that's uh, really odd. I, I didn't uh, expect the conditions to, to be sort of that dominant that way. Yeah, it seemed to be the case, didn't it? I think uh, just obviously knowing what you can chase and... and putting that into your game plan, people coming out batting first, if you come out too hot and, and you lose wickets in those conditions, you can get yourself in a tricky situation. So through that tournament, uh, yeah, I mean, the stats don't lie. The, the chasing team seems to be the favourite. It is. It's quite strange. So in the next T20 World Cup, as, as uh, we've alluded to, is, is not that far away. And I, I imagine... Uh, that, being in Australian conditions, might uh, bring, the, bring the quicker bowlers um, perhaps a little bit more into the frame a wee bit. So uh, that might mean Matt Henry is a chance. Oh, I'd love to. I think everyone here, and myself included, you're always going to be um, pushing your case for for those those tournaments. And the World Cup in Australia, that's uh, definitely one I think everyone will be pretty keen to, to put their hand up for. So it's great to be here at home um, for the Super Smash. And... Um, Hopefully have a have another strong summer with the white ball and, and and put your case forward. But yeah, I think the guys will be. Uh, I mean, it's quick, like you said, it's a quick turnaround. They they played ahead of game last night, and um, there's plenty of T20 cricket to play. So um, it's going to be an exciting year coming up for 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 the squad. Um, and and hopefully, uh, yeah, get get a World Cup in hand in Australia. Matt, uh, sometimes uh, we we kind of consider when we play against Australia that you know they're when it comes to the big occasion, we just can't get past them time after time. Uh, from a playing point of view, from, from your point of view, from being in the squad point of view, um, do we approach Australia any differently to any other opposition, do you know? Well, personally, no. I think um, everyone actually, as, as you know, you love that, that ch- chance to play Australia. Um, but they're always really exciting games and you, you kind of grow up in the backyard always pretend you're playing a World Cup final against Australia, you know, those kind of scenarios. So I think everyone really gets up for the occasion. And, um, yeah, it is disappointing that, that we didn't get across the line. But um, in saying that, I, I don't think anything changed from a mentality point of view. I think everyone definitely gets up and, and you know it's going to be hard cricket. And we've had plenty of success against Australia as well. Um, I mean, you're looking back at Chapel Hadley's as well. So, um, mm. yeah, I, I think... 
um, moving forward, I think will be, like I said, there's a lot of guys in there that um, will gain a lot of uh, confidence and experience from, from being in that final. Okay, Matt, thanks very much for your time this morning. I know you've, uh, you're home a day early, so it means you can probably do the lawns a day early and, and get stuck in. Uh, what's the next thing for Canterbury? <laughs> yeah, straight into the laundry. Um, yeah, um, next thing for us, so we've got a couple of days off to freshen up now, uh, get, start getting into our T20 pan, uh, campaign planning, and, and we'll be straight into training um, early next week. I, I would assume a couple of people hitting balls tomorrow, and some of the guys have had a bit more time on the legs and might just freshen up, and so that, that's the next plan for Canterbury, and the Ford Trophy also starts mixed in with the uh, T20 Super Smash, so it's a big white ball block for us, and everyone uh, is pretty excited. Good luck, mate. All the best for that. Uh, keep an eye on you. Uh, it's been a great uh, been a great start to the season, as always, for you, so well done. Awesome. Thanks very much, Smithy. Yeah, cheers. Matt Henry there, one of the nice guys, and uh, one of the most patient guys, I've got to say, and he just keeps a smile on his face and just keeps running in. He's the perfect guy to have in and around the team and around the squad, and that's... Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, a tough situation for him, I've got to say. It, it really is. Interesting overnight, yeah, uh, getting beaten. Uh, India running us down. Uh, I looked at that. Quite a lot of change in personnel, probably um, just at a rough count, about uh, 11 or 12 different players um, between the two sides than actually when we met just uh, a couple of weeks ago in the T20 World Cup. So uh, it's not a lot you can read into it, apart from the fact that we didn't do enough for me, in the last four overs when we batted, we got 24 runs. We lost a couple of wickets, but we only got 24 runs off the last 24 balls. So six and over, that simply isn't enough. Uh, instead of 164, we should have perhaps been asking to get around 180, and that might have been a little bit more interesting. Uh, kind of felt that they were quite comfortable, even with their new players. So, yeah, 1-0 down on that particular series, and uh, that... Uh, is uh, carrying on very shortly, actually, as are the test matches to follow. 9.20 here on SCNZ. Uh, what did you, I'm not trying to think about what we could talk about, John, this morning, double eight, double three. What, um, uh, of course, uh, the All Blacks will be naming their side. Any changes for you going into uh, France? What changes would you make to the side that was fairly lacklustre, I think it's fair to say, against Ireland? Would you say, you got it wrong, you guys, go back and fix it, or would you make changes, and if you would, whereabouts? Probably Aaron Smith, yes. Um, probably probably uh, Richie Mwonga, out of uh, the fact that Bowden Barrett's out. Uh, apart from that, where else? Where else would you look to change the All Blacks for this match against France? Ideal losing Daryl in the first over, but I think um, the way that Chadby adapted to having not played a lot of cricket lately to coming in and spending some time in the middle and, and to put on a hundred partnership with him and set up an extended death phase, um, you know, really helped the team get to a competitive total. Yeah, you, you think that total was competitive at the halfway point? How was the team sort of fearing going out to the field? Yeah, it was competitive. I think we were still 10 runs short of where we could have been. Um, I, I don't think we quite nailed the, the end of the death phase uh, as well as we could have, but um, look, that can happen. Um, and I think the bowlers did an extremely good job to, to pull it back um, after they got off to a, a fairly quick start. So um, to have lost with only a couple of balls to spares, um, you know, we weren't far off. Yeah, Martin Guptill there with his thoughts on that performance last night. Uh, he was outstanding again, wasn't he? 70 off 42, three fours and four sixes. And he mentioned uh, Chappie there, Mark Chapman, his first opportunity on this tour. And did he take it or what? 63 off 60, six fours and two sixes. Partnership of just over 100. Uh, that was Williamson-like coming in at number three. It was really a fantastic innings and set New Zealand up 
pretty well, but uh, nothing from Phillips and Seifert really. Uh, Ravindra in his uh, debut, seven from eight. Mitchell Santner, four from four, and uh, Tim Southey just the one ball. So as you said, they just didn't finish off the death very well, and that uh, was those last four overs. 24 runs uh, when you've got wickets in hand simply is not uh, good enough. Nice to see Lockie Ferguson uh, back playing. So the bowling attack wasn't too bad, although if you, uh, you look at the bowling figures, uh, it wasn't really such a great night uh, for a couple of them. Tim Southey got collared. He went for 40 and picked up a wicket, but basically with his last delivery. Uh, Trent Bolt, two for 31. Uh, Lockie Ferguson, four overs for 24. That was a good return. And Santner's always pretty hard to get away. Four overs, one for 19, but not a good night for... Todd Astle, none for 34 from just three overs, and Daryl Mitchell bowled the last over, uh, which was uh, interesting as well, John. uh, When they were looking to protect uh, 10 runs, uh, they were left with uh, Daryl Mitchell to bowl the last over instead of uh, perhaps giving it to Todd Astle. So, um, hmm, interesting overall. Just a a bitsy performance for me, a bitsy one. Yeah, which is incredible. 72 hours after losing a World Cup final and you're playing already again against India, which is quite remarkable. I'm just glad they took it close, Smithy. I think that's um, a pretty good result. And Tim Southey with his captaincy, I think, just wanted to take it as deep as possible and then see what happens. So that's why he bowled out as his good bowlers. But in terms of Todd Astle, he's probably a guy who's probably not going to be there, you'd say, for the next T20 World Cup in Australia, but Martin Guptill, um, hell, that's a, that's a statement from him, I reckon, Smithy, because he's probably another guy who some people are thinking, geez, will he be there at the next T20 World Cup with Finn Allen playing so well, but Martin Guptill's still got it, Smithy. Well, there's some people that don't age too well, and you can notice it physically, that uh, it takes its toll on them, they're a little bit slower, um, but if you look at Martin Guptill in the field, he's still New Zealand's premier fieldsman. Uh, you look at the way they position him in the deep in those key areas because he gets to the ball quicker than anyone else. He's got a terrific arm, but he's got great anticipation, and that applies uh, to his batting as well. Uh, look, at, in this, nat- in this uh, fickle nature of, of this game, if you can come off three or four times out of ten, uh, that's probably an acceptable strike rate, to be honest, because if you do come off, you're going to score 50, 60, and you're going to do it pretty well. So um, Martin Guptill, I think, is, is, for me, at this point, 11 months away to another World Cup. He's a given, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, and for people to say he's passed it, I think is uh, a long way, a long way off the mark. Um, it's the other younger guys that have to come forward and meet that standard, and I don't see anyone pushing Martin Guptill out of that side as we speak. So uh, i really like to see um, uh, the development of Chapman. It was interesting, uh, he was sent over there uh, initially because he could bowl as well. Uh, he can bowl left-arm spin, and they didn't use him last night. And Santner had bowled four overs for 19, left arm spin. I find that interesting that they, perhaps they didn't find a spot for Chapman to come in at some stage and, and uh, roll his arm over. And Phillips too, we're told that he can bowl. I didn't see him at the bowling crease either. So, uh, And still, Kyle Jamieson, I scratched my head that he's not available to play and resting for the test matches. What's he been doing for the last month? Resting, carrying water out to the middle. 9.30 here on SENZ. Well, the protocol for the 37th America's Cup to be held in 2024, where we don't quite know yet, was released yesterday, and there's no one better to talk us through it than Team New Zealand's Head of Design, Dan Bernasconi, a veteran now of five America's Cup campaigns. Uh, Dan, thank you very much for your time this morning. Hi, good morning. No worries at all. Pleasure to be here. 
Okay, right. Let's look at uh, some of these uh, conditions that have been uh, announced yesterday. Sticking with the AC75 model boat, uh, but how will it be different? Yeah, we've, we've worked pretty hard to improve the performance of the boat right across the wind speed range, but particularly in the light air. So we've made the boat um, about a tonne lighter um, through a number of, of measures. Um, we've reduced the crew from 11 down to 8. Uh, the foil wings are going to be a longer span, um, so a little bit easier to get up on the foils in the light. Um, and, yeah, just a, a whole number of changes right across, across the class rule that's going to make the boat a little bit better. From your point of view, from a designer, from a builder's point of view, etc., uh, there are restrictions as well on, on modifications and, and on the foils, etc. as well. So can you talk us, talk us through that in terms of how you're able to go about things? Yeah, we, we're trying to make it, it easier uh, and cheaper to be able to compete in the cup. And so we've put pretty tight restrictions on the number of components you can build. So you can only build one new boat this time. Um, last time each team built two new boats. And then there's limits on the number of foils you can build and other expensive components. So um, you're not going to be able to develop several iterations of foils before you get to racing. You basically just have to build your new boat and your race set of foils. Everything else you'll be developing in simulation um, and, and modelling that on, on um, sort of a computer simulation. So it, it's really just aimed at cutting the cost down. Um, we've got a good starting point. We're confident from where we were last time. So we, we think we'll be in a good position. So who monitors that? that kind of development? Who, who makes sure that everyone's falling into line with that when, when all the teams come together? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, we, we have a sort of event authority and there are guys called measurers or a measurement committee and there's really close scrutiny of, of everything we're doing, just like there is in Formula One with the scrutineers. Um, and we'll also have uh, recon teams, so the, the people following us every time we launch, um, and uh, every time we launch the boat, every day there'll be um, a team on the forecourt watching us what we launch, checking um, for details of things we've changed. So there's yeah, really, really close scrutiny of, of what we're doing to ensure that every team is following those rules. Dan, you, you mentioned the word, so it's cheaper. Uh, how much cheaper? Any idea? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the boats are obviously a pretty expensive um, machine to construct. A um, huge amount of labour goes into those boats. So, yeah, it is a, it is a massive saving. Um, and it re reducing the, the number of boats that you can build from two to one. And, I mean, of course, everyone could have built just one boat last time, but to be competitive, you, you would have had to have sort of matched your, the other teams you're competing against. So, yeah, it will be a, a significant saving going from two to one and reducing all the other components too. So that means that also, I suppose, you can't race within your own syndicate and find out about how well you're comparing uh, uh, comparing yourself to um, your other boat in terms of your modifications. So what will that mean in terms of uh, pre-regatta, pre-America's uh, pre Cup regatta and competition within groups? Yeah, well, the, the flip side of restricting the, the number of um, AC-75s you can build to one is that we've introduced this really exciting new class, the AC-40, which is just a sort of mini AC-75. It's crewed by four people. It's a, a smaller boat and so much, much cheaper to build. Um, we'll be um, 
developing two of those within our team and so that will allow us to go out and race against ourselves and get a lot of race practice and then the preliminary regattas that you mentioned will also be sailed in the AC40 class um, so this is a class which is exactly the same boat delivered um, to all teams but then they can then make developments and try out new designs on those boats so um, yeah it's, it's a smaller scale um, but just a, just as cool a boat and it's, we're really looking forward to getting sailing in that Dan, you mentioned also that um, probably better uh, equipped and lighter airs. Does that give us a clue as to where you're expecting it might well be actually competed for this time around? No, I mean, I think the, there's been a few venues that have, have um, sort of announced themselves that they're uh, putting bids forward for the cup um we're still in negotiations with with a few cities um the the lighter air i think you know is applicable wherever you go there's, there's almost nowhere in the world that has guaranteed um wind speed constant all day every day so whatever venue it is we've got to be able to be competitive in the light and in the strong wind Let's, uh, from from the people's point of view looking on who don't know a heck of a lot about the America's Cup, but we're watching on and learning on a day-by-day basis. We all sort of watch uh, the crew, an 11-man crew with their various jobs uh, on the boat because the camera work is so damn good you can get up close and personal. So how will, going from 11 down to 8, uh, how will that look differently from our point of view? Um, well, I think one thing that might be really obvious is that this time um, we're allowing cyclists to come back. So there was a rule last time that said all of the human power had to be supplied by grinding, so that's using your hands. Um, where We've managed to, to take that rule out of the, um, the regulations, so now you're allowed to pedal in, instead of using your hands, just as we did in Bermuda. So that will be a really obvious change. Um, it's likely that teams will have four um, cyclists and then four guys who are controlling the boats, that's steering, trimming the sails, um, controlling the, the height of the boat by changing the, the foil flaps and so on. So, yeah, a little bit more compact, smaller cockpits, and um, cyclers are back. It's exciting. Uh, it is exciting, which I guess, too, uh, means uh, it brings two or three uh, other sailing, uh, other people, other types of sailors coming in, you know, uh, former cyclists, people with strong leg drive, etc., all of a sudden come back into the frame. Yeah, exactly. It does change the makeup of the crew a bit. Um, some of our sailors actually made the transition from, from being cyclists to, to grinders, um, and hopefully they can make the transition back again. Um, but yeah, it's obviously a, a significant change for guys that have sort of spent the last three years developing their upper body strength um, and sort of putting on weight there to, to transition back into cycling mode. One of the other interesting um, conditions or protocol, part of the protocol is all teams must build and operate two hydrogen-powered foiling chase boats for the campaign. Tell us a wee bit about them. That's right. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, although the, the yachts themselves are obviously, you know, super green, powered by, powered by wind, um, we, we do have quite a carbon footprint from the, the chase boats that follow the yachts, um, which... You know, uh, up until now have been just typical petrol outboard 
chase base. So um, what what we want to do is is to really encourage the development of clean energy in that sector. So we're putting a requirement in that each team's chase boats need to be hydrogen powered or two of their chase boats need to be hydrogen powered. This is something that we've been developing. It's really new. Um, There aren't any commercial foiling hydrogen powered boats out there. So we're learning a lot as we go. But it's a really exciting area of technology. And, you know, it's, it's what we see as the future. America's Cup is always uh, given from the outside looking in anyway a, a real um, air of secrecy, uh, an air of real competitiveness. It, um, it doesn't quite come to blows, but we know it's, it's very competitive and, uh, you know, everyone's trying to outdo each other on and off the water. And all of a sudden we see that you're going to have to share recon and starting software. That almost seems to go against the grain looking in. Yeah, um, I mean, we've, we've always had recon it's been a strong element of the america's cup so every time we've been on, out on the water um there's been teams uh, recon teams from our competitors following us watching everything we do so what what we're doing this time again it's a cost saving measure but also a real step forward for for the media side um we're centralizing that so that we've got a, a sort of official recon team following each team and they'll report back in every day give all that information to our competitors, um, but also give it to the media. So we'll, we'll be able to supply to our, our, our fans and our loyal followers and all, all the sort of um, techie nerds who are really excited about technology in the Cup. There'll suddenly be a whole lot more information um, for them to follow on what's going on statistics on how many days sailing we've had how many hours each day what breakdowns you know if someone capsizes what new components so i think it's just going to bring a whole new level um to the the people that follow the sport um and just sort of fill that gap between the the regattas dan you know a lot of us obviously is designed around cutting costs does that mean um the possibility of more syndicates being involved through and more genuine challenges being involved i think what we had three last time are you expecting more because of these measures it's, it's certainly the hope yeah um i mean entry is open in a couple of weeks so we'll find out over the next um few months um we, we've definitely got interest from more teams so far um and hopefully they turn into to reality um and, and cost cutting is is a big part of what we tried to do this time round. So hopefully that will um, open the door to more teams. How long does it take to build a boat? Uh, bearing in mind uh, 2024 is is race time. Yeah, it, it will take us uh, the best part of a year, probably around 10, 11 months. Um, they're, they're really complex machines, so um, at least sort of seven eight months um, actually building the structure of the composite hull, um, laying down the carbon fibre um, and the, the honeycomb core, and then um, a couple of months of fit out of all the hydraulic and electrical systems. So, yeah, we're, we'll be racing um, mid-24, most likely. So we'll be um, getting into the build of our boat at the beginning of 2023. Oh, exciting times, Dan. Uh, we wish you all the best with that. Thanks for updating us on those new protocols. As always, a bit of a guessing game around the America's Cup. So you've helped us out, helped us out this morning. Thanks for that. Oh, thanks so much. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Dan Bernasconi there, who is uh, the head man, the head of design for Team New Zealand. And now that he knows what he's got to build, uh, they can go ahead and start building it, I'm sure. And uh, they'll do it with uh, uh, great skill, as they always do. That's uh, one of our great advantages. We, we seem to be... Uh, at the moment anyway, just a little bit ahead of everyone else because of
of our design. Uh, it's 9.44 here on SENZ. We'll have a multi before 10 o'clock. Uh, keep those texts coming in, double eight, double three. Uh, you can talk about Martin Guptill, someone already has. So you can talk about the cricket or you can talk about what changes you expect from uh, the All Black selectors tomorrow morning at 5 o'clock. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Vaughan has texted in, maybe the criticism around Guptill comes from him never owning a big moment. He is good in pool playing in a random series, but when we need him most, he hasn't taken the opportunity. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a, a fair point as well. Um, he is uh, sensational when he's on, uh, and, and no one hits the ball quite like he does. But uh, you're right, Vaughan, um, and he would be the first to admit that. But uh, well, I, I have to say, you know, I, I have to say, if you're going to let Martin Guptill go, who replaces him? Uh, who who is absolutely? Maybe someone will emerge this summer uh, through the big bash. Is, is it Finn Allen? I think Finn Allen has to have another good summer for me uh, to com- convince me that he's going to go in and do the Guptill role better than Martin Guptill. Um, so uh, you know, I, I, that, that's the way I'm thinking at this point anyway. Uh, Smithy, a lot has been said about uh, Aussie arrogance making them more competitive, or is it that they believe more? Yeah, I think they do. I think they believe more. I think that's the nature of the beast over there. Uh, they are a glass half full nation when it comes to sport. We tend to be a glass half empty at times, and, and you know that that to me is uh, the difference between them. Rugby aside, that is of course rugby aside. Uh, no doubt when we play against Australia at rugby, and, and why should there be that we're going to dominate them? But it, just turn it around. I mean, you look at the histories of rugby for us and, and cricket for us, and, and you can see why they are in a position of slight arrogance every time they come up against us. They just believe a little bit more. Uh, because I've done it a little bit more. I think it's as simple as that. So, now what, what did you um, make of uh, Dan Berniscone, John, and, and his uh, explanation of all those things? It, it looks like it's governed really to uh, encourage other syndicates to come in, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, Smithy. You bang on. Uh, and fair enough, too, because I think that was the real shame of the last America's Cup. It's like, great, we've won it, but only three challenges? Like, just for a global event that we build up as being this massive thing in sailing and that everyone's interested, well, it didn't look like many people were interested last time, Smithy. Uh, and even, even then, out of those three challenges, how many were actually that competitive? So cutting costs is definitely the way to go. So just one boat, cut the costs, uh, cut the amount of sailors and try and get more people involved, Smithy. But the return of Cyclors, what do you make of that? Is that sailing for you? No, it isn't. It isn't really. But it's all, it's, it's all about technology. Uh, it, it isn't really. Uh, is it about sailing, John? As I keep saying, and even in that conversation, was there any mention of sails? No, more foils, wasn't it? It was about foils uh, and other things. So it, it's gone. Uh, it's gone a little bit uh, away from the traditional sailing that I know. So it's not unusual for me now to see um, cycles or, or guys cycling on the side of a boat uh, to make it go quicker or the foils go up and down. Uh, great uh, interview, says uh, Jared, with Dan Berniscone. What an insight into the design and rules of the, of the next America's Cup. He's certainly a clever cookie. And what I like about Dan is from another Kiwi institution, the McLaren Formula One team. So there you go. Uh, it's, um, that's significant you know, of, uh, of his background. Uh, he's a smart cookie, right? No doubt about it. 9.53 here on SENZ. Uh, how smart a cookie am I when it comes to multis? Not that. Turn that thought into something useful. Make it your turning point and talk to Ashley and Martin about regrowing your hair. Mike, shut up! Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. 
Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Yes, and when you do, remember to bet uh, responsibly and uh, bet accurately. Unlike me yesterday, uh, the Clippers did beat the Spurs, but the Nets were fixed up well and truly by the Golden State Warriors. So that was the end of that. The football didn't even matter. Uh, today, uh, we've gone three basketball into one football. So the Atlanta Hawks to beat the Boston Celtics, $1.53. Miami Heat to beat the New Orleans Pelicans at $1.28. The Indiana Pacers to beat the Detroit Pistons at $1.35 and in football, Brazilian football, uh, Flamenco to beat Corinthians at $1.45. That will uh, realise $3.83, $3.83 and we'll be advising the TAB uh, a bit later on this morning uh, that we're in terms of our inter-show betting, the great uh, show contest, uh, we are going to have Cameron Smith, Cameron Smith this weekend, the Australian golfer, caddied uh, by a New Zealander. And uh, we're going to uh, have him at $3.40 to make the top 10 in the RSM Classic being played at Sea Island Resort in Georgia. So $3.40 for Cameron Smith, the Australian, to finish in the top 10. That will be our winter show bet as well. Coming up to 10 o'clock uh, after 10, TJ, Tony Johnson with some rugby thoughts. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. It's 10.02 here on SENZ. Uh, really pleased now to be joined by Sky Sports' Tony Johnson, uh, who called the Test match at the weekend between Ireland and the All Blacks. Uh, before we get on to that, Tony, uh, the hottest news off the press in rugby terms this morning is that Russi Erasmus has copped a, a two-month ban. What do you make of that? Oh, OK. What does that take him out of action for Christmas, does it? <laughs> Effectively, yeah. Oh, dear. Two month, yeah, two months ban from what? Um, it's a you know when you you think I think we talked about it at the time, didn't we, Smithy? I, I thought what he did was uh, was just you know totally unacceptable attempt to undermine um, influence, do whatever you like. Or you know if a player did that, then you know a, a two month ban might mean something. But what does that mean? I, yeah, I, they've been scared of this all along. And it's taken so long to come to the end of it, and, and now they do this, which is pretty much amounts to nothing. Uh, it almost uh, suggests to me they, it's like a, a settlement out of court, really. Um, we, we've got a yeah. show to be doing something, but we, we're not going to hurt you, really. I haven't caught up with this, Smithy. Has he been made to apologise? Oh, yeah, I'd imagine yeah, he has. He, has um, he, he, he will have been made to apologise, I'm sure, as part of the deal, Tony. But yeah. in the end, it's just let's get rid of it and, um, and move on. Uh, as we will now uh, to uh, what you called last uh, weekend, uh, with, uh, what, two days, three days later? Have well, I been given uh, a two-month two ban for that, have I? <laughs> no, not at this point, but we are reviewing. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> No, uh, you know, uh, two, two or three days down the track, um, we, we, we were pretty much sorted out, weren't we? Yeah, I, th- I think so. <clears throat> Firstly, um, it's just interesting talking to people. A lot of people really um, still enjoyed the game. They, you know, were full of praise for the way Ireland played. I, I think that's the best sustained effort that I've ever seen from Ireland because we've come to expect over the years, you know, plenty of passion and they often used to make, you know, back in the days at Keith Wood and that, they'd make a rip-roaring start and they'd run out of gas by about 50 minutes. 
But these guys sustained it. And I really like um, the way they've built on, on the foundation work that Joe Smith gave them and expanded their game. They used the width of the field. They used some lovely sort of wraparound moves. They seem to play from a greater depth. The All Blacks are still trying to play very flat. They play from a bit more depth. They kept the ball alive, the offloads. But they did all, you know, all the attention to detail was there. And, you know, you kept thinking, you know, the way the All Blacks hung in there was this incredible defence. And it was a, it was a, it was a sensational defensive effort that kept the All Blacks in the game. You kept thinking, well, it's just going to take one magic moment to steal the game. And, you know, we almost had it with the try that got ruled out rightly for a forward pass. But this time just wasn't to be. And I, I, in the end, I think the, you know, the best team absolutely won. Um, and, and that's three in the last five that Ireland have won against the All Blacks now. Mm, it is. Um, so, which leads us to, to this week, Tony, and uh, a week to turn it around uh, because I'm not sure they're going to get any less physicality from France, are they? Oh, I think this is about as tough as it gets um, because I just recall, uh, you remember when they won in Chicago, Ireland beat the Backs in Chicago, what was that, 2018, I think? Um, and then two weeks later, they played Ireland again in Dublin, and that was an absolutely brutal game. And then followed on going to France. And I remember at halftime, one of the All Black boards, I think it might have been Brody Ritalik, I think it was soon after, had to leave the field. Uh, you could just tell that some of them, they, they, the effort that it had taken to beat Ireland um, had, had really drained some of them. And I think that, that's got to be the worry about this. They're going to take on a French team that, to me, I, I think has got the potential to win the next World Cup. They've got arguably um, the best halfback in the world, the form halfback in the world at the moment in DuPont. They've got a massive forward pack. Uh, they haven't quite sorted out their back line. They're, they're trying to um, fit two playmakers into their back line and it's not working. But they, uh, the game, games I've seen them play, they're quite relentless. And so it's going to be another huge physical challenge. And I think, you know, this is an, a massive test of the All Blacks' resolve, their determination, but also the ability of the coaching staff now to sit down, think about what's confronting them, make some bold calls about their selection, confront one or two of the things that aren't working and see what can we do in the space of this time to change it. Otherwise, um, they face the, the possibility that they could be the first all-black team since 1999 to lose the last two games of a calendar year. Right then, let's get down to tin tacks. Uh, TJ, where, where do they make the bold calls from your point of view? Well, I, I think they have to make an assessment of just in terms of who's got what left in the tank. Um, and I think they've, they've, they've got to change something up in the forward pack. Um, to me, you know, Cody Taylor's a terrific player, but it looks he looked like a player who was playing with the, the, the fuel warning light flashing. I thought Coles really added something. So to me, Coles probably starts to say to Cody Taylor, look, thanks, great for your effort, but... Um, We'll call it a we'll call it a year for you. Start with Coles, and then I, I'm thinking Tokiaho um, off the bench because he, he brings some some real um, venom the way he carries the ball, and they're going to need that. Uh, I, I think they've probably got to look at their loose forward trio as well. Do they make a change there? Do they start with Yuani and hope to get him into the game and, and running powerfully at them? Oh, they've got to make a change at halfback. Um, Pedernara, his defence was heroic last week. He made so many tackles, and he does bring, you know, qualities to the game but to me, they, they, I couldn't understand why they didn't bring Finley Christie into the game last week, a guy who can, can spark things, he can up the, up the tempo of the game and I just couldn't understand that um, and the only thing I could think of is that maybe Christie was still carrying an injury um, so I don't think they've got any choice um, but to bring Aaron Smith in cold and bring Christie off the bench 
And then they've got to face um, the issue of what do they do in the midfield because what they're doing at the moment isn't working. They, they still haven't figured out a way to beat the rush defence. The kicking game didn't really work at all last week. Um, and they've got to get that better. But, but I, think, I, I think they might as well take a punt on, on Quinn Tupaya in, in the 12 jersey. Um, Leonard Brown, and 12's his best position, but Leonard Brown's out. I just don't think... David Harvey is a fantastic footballer, but it just... But they're not. They're asking him to do things that it's not really his game. So I think if you want that guy to carry the ball ahead, run straight in the line, be very direct, uh, then, then I think I think they've got to give Tupaya a shot. And then it's just a matter of maybe you make a change. Seven Reese um, did not have a great game last week. He looked flustered when things got, um, you know, the, the, the blowtorch got applied. And so maybe they they make a change there and and and, and, and shuffle around. Um, and, and put someone else on, on, on the left wing. But they've got to make some changes, uh, and I, I think they've got to execute a whole lot better than they did last week under pressure. Well, let's look at the two tens. Uh, how important a game then um, for Richie Moonga is this one? Well, it, 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 it all sits on his shoulders now um, because there's not going to be a Bowden Barrett to come off the bench. But I think that's right, Smithy. I, I, I don't mm, think he's part yeah. of his HIA um, protocols. Uh, and, and so he carries the load now, and you know it's just become one of those arguments, hasn't it? And it, you know, I can, you and I can think back to the days of Laidlaw v Going at halfback, or, or um, Fox v Boddicker at number ten, Mertz v Spencer, and this is another one now. And it, the, the argument gets clouded by parochialism and, and what have you. But there are people out there who are still not convinced that that uh, Richie Mourna. Uh, is the guy on these big pressure occasions? Well, here's his chance to prove that he is, and I, he's well capable of it. You know that. Um, so I, 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 this is this becomes a, a, a huge game for him. Um, but they've got to give him some good ball. The forwards have got to be more accurate at the clean out, and they've got to present him with a better quality of ball from the base of the ruck than than, uh, than he was getting last week. And uh, and, and then hopefully, the, the brilliance that we know he's got comes to the fore. So the French will probably go with uh, Intermark by the look of things outside Dupont. That, uh, that's an interesting combination. Yeah, I mean, they've been experimenting with trying to um, put Intermac and Jalabert in the back line. It just hasn't really worked, that dual playmaker thing. I think I've seen the All Blacks trying to do it, and they, it's just something that... And, and it is great to see these European teams trying to expand their parameters, but it, it just doesn't look comfortable. I think they go back to Dupont and Intermac. Intermac is a, is a superbly skilled player, but he's a guy that they'll look to put a bit of pressure on. But the guy they've got to be watching the whole time is, is Dupont. Uh, he, he's incredibly dangerous, and he's a bit like, you know, you think back to the days of Jacques Farou when he was playing with a bunch of behemoths up front, and, and just everything revolved around this little man dictating to all these big men and, and, and sparking everything. Um, and, and so that, that's crucial. If, if, if those guys get a, a good platform to work from then, then look out but, but uh, you'll actually know that and I think that's where you know you apply pressure and sometimes the, the school of thinking is you apply pressure to a team where they're most strong and I think that's what they've got to try and do they've, you know they can pressurise them at the breakdown um, you know give them a bit of rubbish ball slow the ball down then, then that might help but if they, if they don't well as I say when, when France get a roll going they can be quite relentless Tony, uh, you've called a lot of uh, rugby internationals and uh, predominantly they've been between sort of 85 and 90 minutes, bearing in mind injuries, etc. 
these games are going a long time now. You will be noticing it as, a, as the guy calling the games and having to fill for so damn long uh, while the conjecture runs around decisions, etc., replays. Um, Luke Pierce at the weekend, uh, last weekend officiated that. It's Wayne Barnes this weekend uh, in charge, but Pierce uh, is an AR. What did, what did you make of the officiating or the trend in the officiating in these games? Well, I think it became a little bit obvious that um, it was getting a bit frustrating last week. I think I made the comment at 30 minutes that the game had already taken over 40, and most of it was taken up with what Luke Pierce kept referring to as these, these chats with discussions. Um, and I, I think that the thing that sort of bothers me, having sat back and, and tried to sort of, you know, analyse things, um, you know, with the pulse rate sort of lower a bit, um, is that what, what, what we're doing at the moment is we are ruling out tries for things that probably don't even get noticed in the general run of play. That little double movement, and I think the worst decision of the lot was, well, not the worst, but, but the one that probably was the most pedantic of the lot was the one that actually cost Tyg Furlong a try for Ireland uh, when they went back a couple of phases and found a double movement. Now, yes, it probably was a double movement um, and probably deserved to be penalised, but it deserved to be penalised at the time. And, and you probably find that probably happened five or six times in the game and went unnoticed. But because it happened in the lead-up to a try, it, it has the potential to um, change the, the outcome of a game. And, and fortunately for Ireland's sake, it, it didn't. And, and, and so it comes back to this, and I you keep using the word now, I've got to find a new one, um, but I keep finding using the word um, forensic. This forensic examination um, for, for reasons not to award tries Yes, we want them to get it right, but at the moment the process is taking so damn long and it's becoming, you know, almost after every try, um, they're scared to award a try in case there's been a little knock-on or a little double movement in, in the movement um, because they know they're going to get fried. Yeah, I, I, I look at it in a, a slightly more general term. I mean, uh, I don't... I, I, I look at what they, they think about the game now, the officials, because I, I would have thought... To, to referee a game, you'd love the game. You would love the game and love the game being played the right way, etc. But I, I don't know if the, the guys do love the game, but they love the rules and the officiating of the game. And I don't think the two can go together. No, they probably you know love the look of a fifty-one thousand crowd there as well, because um, there wasn't it. You know, it did look a little bit at times like it got a bit theatrical, didn't it? And I've got to say that you know the two refs that we've had over there, um, you know, and they've had some tough decisions to make. Ben O'Keefe and, and um, uh, I was just thinking of the other one, uh, Paul, um, Paul Paul Williams, the, the, Paul Williams. Yeah, um, he had a um, couple of really tough calls to make. But he, he, he actually, um, and, and Paul Williams is probably one of the more, I would say, strict referees that we've got in New Zealand, but he actually looked um, light and shade over there compared to what we've seen in some of the other games. Um, and I just think it comes down to a you know, bit of an empathy with the game. I mean, what are we out here to do? Are we out here um, to, to stamp this, ourselves and this rule book all over the match? Or are we out here to promote a game which is, after all, you know, 50,000 people have paid to come in and see and millions are watching all around the world. And I, I just, it's a general philosophy thing. I, I think you're right, Smithy. It, it, it's, I think they've got to have a look at that. But unfortunately, they are so analytical about everything that they do now and they, that, that it, it becomes, a, um, it, it just becomes quite oppressive.
Mm. Okay, let's get on to a, a brighter subject then. Uh, MPC finals this weekend. Your Tasman now visiting Hamilton because they're allowed to. How do you see this going? Yeah, well, first of all, it's great that uh, Waikato can stage the game at home. Uh, I have to say, Smithy, um, I was quite surprised at the result last week. I mean, and it, it's a funny way to end a season. When Hawks Bay have been so good this year. Um, and that, that just shows the nature of, of the beast when you get to knock out rugby, uh, rugby. And that's the one thing that Tasman have had a lot of experience at over the years. And I thought they came up with their best performance. Uh, they were the most controlled, and I think they got their tactics right. Their uh, their accuracy was right, and uh, it was just in in the end, it was just one step too many for a Hawks Bay team that played brilliantly this year. Uh, and uh, again, uh, to me, that just comes down to big match experience, and they're, they're going to need plenty of that as well too, because Waikato have been really good this year. Um, you know, I, I love the core of their forward pack. Uh, James Tucker's just been terrific. Um, They've got a really good balance to their team. Um, they've, they've managed to... I think everyone's got an injury list, but they've, they've managed to keep a pretty strong team on the field um, despite the depth that, that, that they've had to test. Um, Leo Ila, the way he's coming at 10, you know, with um, uh, Fletcher Smith not being 100%, you know, he, he's been a revelation. Tasman, to me... Um, the injury list it just keeps growing. I'm not making excuses for them, Smithy, but you take, um, you know, Putty Putty Parkinson out. Now you take Segna out. Uh, they've lost, obviously, more players to the All Blacks than they have in the past. Um, to me, I think Waikato deservedly starts start as favourites for this, but it, it's a final. And uh, as we saw last week, you get to the knockout games, really, it just who mm. presents themselves best on the day. Excellent stuff, TJ. Look forward to that and uh, look forward to uh, the All Blacks v France and uh, a post-mortem on that at some stage next week. Thanks for your time this morning, mate, as always. Cheers, mate. Yep. Tony Johnson there, folks. Uh, Sky Sport uh, caller. And uh, yeah, he'll be involved uh, calling rugby this weekend, I'm sure, to uh, very big MPC finals. And, of course, uh, the All Blacks against France as well. Uh, we've got a panel coming up uh, very shortly and it consists this morning of Ross Carl and also Dave Worsley. And that's good because there's a couple of tennis issues we need to sort through. So Dave Worsley and uh, Ross Carl are the panellists this morning. Uh, Ross, of course, with uh, Sky Television these days, producing and responsible for a lot of the in-house magazine shows, the podcasts, etc. that you see um, uh, throughout the network, actually. They're very commonplace. So uh, Ross has been exceptionally busy there. Um, but Ross has got good news because uh, at some stage, uh, around about December the 15th or afterwards, you can break out of Auckland, Ross. What are you going to do? Have you made your mind up yet? Oh, mate, we are going to be heading for the Coromandel, um, where, where there's not a lot of vaccinating going on. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. Um, but, yeah, oh, it's going to be good, mate. Uh, it's been so nice to be able to jump to the shops and down the aisles at Mitre 10 and pick up some stuff. You know, looking forward to getting to a beach, too. How long do you reckon it's going to take you to get there? Just say you set off from home. How long do you reckon that trip's going to take? Mate, we'll do a midnight trip. (laughs) 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 The other way of doing it's going to be bedlam. It is. It's going to be bedlam, all right. But however, uh, it's good news. It's something to look forward to. Uh, Rassi Erasmus uh, finally got his news. Uh, He got a two-month ban. He has to make all sorts of apologies. Uh, South African rugby's had to pay a fine. I've had to apologise. Uh, it seems a, a long time ago that uh, he got stuck into the referees, but it has cost him in the end. Well, I, I wonder whether it has, because I wonder whether this is all part of the play. 
because um, he's essentially been a martyr to their cause, and he's put him in the position, put himself in the position as the director of rugby, but not the coach, to be able to do these things and not have a direct effect on the team. So I wonder whether it's a relatively calculated play, and he's not too worried about this because if you think about it, a two-month ban strictly on a two-month ban without being connected to games in particular, um, there aren't any games after this weekend for the Springboks, so that means nothing. Um, the other part of it where he can't talk to media, he can't talk to officials, well, that's not supposed to be part of his job anyway. That's supposed to be the coach's job. So he's been able to somehow get in the middle of this, create a stir, make his point, and effectively get out of But I think that's like Clayton's fight. I think what's really going on here is he's figured out that he can make a difference in the new position he's in and use his stooge Nienaba as the coach, and he doesn't have to take any punishment. I think he's got away scot-free. Yeah, I do too, actually. Um, I would hate to think. I, it's, to me, it's not a lesson. It's not a lesson learned for other people to, not to, to, to have a crack themselves. If, if that's the standard of punishment... Um, then look out. That's what I say. Dave Worsley has uh, also joined us this morning. Uh, Dave, just looking forward to this uh, test match against France at the weekend. For you, how defining will it be on the year of all-black rugby? You know, it's a, it's a really funny one because you think if we go through with uh, the loss, uh, narrow-ish, uh, to Ireland, and then the very narrow loss to uh, South Africa, and we managed to beat France, is it that bad? If we look at it straight statistically, is it that bad? Or do we look at it and go, no, let's get rid of the coach. Who are we going to put in? Oh, no, we already know. We want Razor Robinson, and that's not going to happen. So it's, it's a kind of a bit of a iffy. And do we actually care? How much are we caring about these test matches? Well, that's an interesting point. Um, I, I, I'm caring about it. Uh, I'm really looking, looking forward to this test at the weekend because uh, it, I mean, me, we Ross, fun. it's all... Yeah, it'll be fun, but for, for me, Ross, it's also it's also a test uh, for the coaching staff. I mean, you know, how, how do you turn around? I mean, you look at a World Cup situation where you play every week against quality opposition, it doesn't go well one week, what do you do within your squad and what do you do within your tactics? So for me, it's a real test for Ian Foster, John Plumtree and co. I think it really is. They've been figured out. Um, line speed is going to cause some problems. They don't appear to have really solid advantage line runners in that team from last weekend. So there aren't a lot of options in and around changing your tactics through the back line. And I wonder whether that kind of one-dimensional play has been something that the opposition coaches have jumped on. And, and really, they've been a little bit outthought in that way. And maybe they've outthought themselves by not selecting the right people um, in, in the long term. I think when you look back a couple of years, all the way to the World Cup, it's obvious that we have issues at the breakdown, winning those collisions, clearing out well. We get constantly having our players isolated in the, in the backfield when they do make a break. Um, the line-out's not functioning. You know, more than the results that Dave's referring to, I think that the real worry here is how it's happening. Even if you go all the way back to that Fiji test, where they were absolutely hammered at the breakdown by Fiji, you can't win World Cups without forward domination. And, you know, it doesn't matter whether you've got Bowden Barrett or Richie Moonga at 10, if your pack's getting slaughtered and your halfback's getting terrible ball and the kicks are all poorly directed because you're under so much pressure, 
they've got some real problems up front and this coaching panel needs to figure out their selections on how they're going to get on the front foot and figure out how they're going to get their backline rolling in behind it if they don't have that bailout option of a Nani Lamafi-style player to take them over the advantage line. Yeah, it is uh, clearly missing. Uh, it's 10.30. But uh, who would we have in there? Fellas, uh, uh, well, who would we have we in there? Got anyone, we, we haven't got a crash merchant at the moment, not that I can see in that squad, Dave. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Yeah. Oh, at the breakdown. Uh, well, that's another matter, isn't it? Is, is Sam Kane ready uh, to come back for a hit? I don't know, for a one-off, I'm, I'm not sure, because certainly that's one of his influences in the game. Uh, 10.30, uh, Dave, uh, please stay with us, and you too, Ross. Uh, there's a couple of tennis issues, intriguing tennis issues too, Dave. I'd love your thoughts on that. In the meantime, Trudy, with uh, a quick news break. Talk, big opinions, the panel. Ross Carl and Dave Worsley with us this morning. Dave, uh, news about Roger Federer. Uh, Roger Federer, is that, uh, is that the end, in all honesty? I mean, it's a slightly older body now to recover from this stuff. Oh, well, I think on this occasion it probably is the end. As uh, maybe an exhibition, a wild card thrown in there. Would you like to play our tournament? But you'd have to say this occasion is it the fourth knee surgery, 40 years old now. You know, the mind might be willing, but the body doesn't seem to be. And it uh, looks like he'll be stuck as uh, the probably second or third best when it comes to actually Grand Slam titles, of course. Uh, all three of the best there, Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal, all on 20 Grand Slams. The Aussie Open coming up, and it's one of those tournaments where Djokovic has excelled nine times he's won it. And looks as though odds on that he will again at this stage. Maybe Medvedev could upset that. Uh, thinking that Nadal should be right to come and play it, but this time, though, Federer. Uh, it would be a real shame to not see him play again, uh, certainly at the Aussie Open, and uh, Wimbledon unlikely as well. So, uh, yep, this could be it. Uh, goodbye to Fed. Maybe he'll just play an exhibition or maybe a one-off slam here and there. But when you pass 40, it's not a magic figure, but it's certainly not an easy one to come back from fourth surgery on your knees. Yeah, it's not Stephen Elka-like, is it? It's not like a new life uh, is waiting for you when you cross that line. Um, Dave, so when, if this is all said and done for Roger Federer, um, with all the tennis you've watched, all the players you've got up close and personal with, where does he rate for you? I have particularly enjoyed watching him play because I liked his style of play. I liked how he was direct on the court, how he could serve and volley, then had to not do it so much in the end because uh, he was getting, you know, feeling that he would get past because the courts were slowed down. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. He would have to rate up there as, uh, yeah, my favourite to actually watch and uh, to interview. He could give you a snide comment if he wanted. He could probably do it in five different languages, in fact. But, yeah, I managed to get, you know, just Federer and myself um, in the room and uh, one other person doing the interviews. That was great. It was fun. Uh, yeah, it was it was good guy to interview, and uh, even watching him as a, a kid, as such, playing Orphan in the, the year two thousand, that was fun as well. Even though he smashed all his rackets, so you know he's uh, been fun to watch. My favourite. Uh, what about you, Ross? I mean, you're an all rounder, and um, I, I look back at Federer, and I, just, I I really couldn't imagine tennis without him. But it looks like we're going to have to. Uh, for me, uh, he's numero uno. 
Yeah, I agree with Dave. It's because he just made it so good to watch, you know. When you watch Rafa running around the baseline, it's not quite like seeing Federer with his all-round game. Um, there's something about him when I think back to the tennis players that I always loved, you know. It was the, the players who played well at Wimbledon who were my favourites, the ones with that kind of grass-court style um, because it's so pretty to watch. Um, with Stefan Edberg, those kind of characters, you know. So... Uh, I think that Federer, for me, is the greatest just because, yeah, he's won a lot. Maybe he won't end up winning more than anyone else. Um, those records were always broken, right? But he just made it enjoyable. And on top of that, um, there was something about his humility while being honest that made him really endearing. Like, he wouldn't shy away from the fact that he's the best. You know, when you look at the Kiwi attitude to that stuff, you know, you'd never hear Richie McCaw or Dan Carter say, well, yeah, I know I'm the best. And, and, and Federer could somehow say things like that and still feel humble because of his mannerisms and the way he was. And let's face it, it was the truth, you know? And, and so I think there was something about him that was quite endearing in that way as well. Okay, let's uh, stay on tennis, Dave, if we could. And you do have your finger on the pulse, so you will know what's going on here. Peng Shui, this uh, remarkable Chinese tennis player with a great record, particularly in doubles. I mean, she's world-class, but she's disappeared what are, you, what are you hearing or what are you reading about this? What are your sources telling you? Well, it's just really bizarre. She made it to number 14 in the world in singles and number one in the world in doubles. Made the fourth round of Wimbledon, I think, on three occasions. Semi-finals of the US, I think, as well. You know, she's, she's good. She's been very good. Uh, about mid-30s now. But she kind of disappeared and a cryptic message came out via the WTA, the Women's uh, Tennis Association, the governing body, uh, saying that she had had to disappear, she was having issues that uh, she alleged sexual assault from a high-ranking Chinese official who was about 75 years old and has had to really just disappear and try and leave the country. And it was just puzzling to everybody. And then on her Facebook page, on her, um, not Facebook, then it's that in China, on her uh, social media pages, this amazing message comes out that you've just got to say, really? Pong Shui wrote this? Doubtful. And where it says regarding the recent uh, news release on the official website of the WTA, the content has not been confirmed or verified by myself, and it was released without my consent. The news in that release, including the allegation of sexual assault, is not true. I'm not missing, nor am I unsafe. I've just been resting at home, and everything is fine. Thank you for caring about me. If the WTA publishes any more news about me, please verify it with me and release it with my consent. As a professional tennis player, I thank you all for your companionship and consideration. I hope to promote Chinese tennis with you. Uh, if I get the chance in the future, I hope Chinese tennis will become better and better. Once again, thank you for your consideration. Now, does that sound real? <laughs> so, I, mean, I think that well, might be written by the official sources. Right. Well, that even adds even more intrigue too. Uh, and people are actually, I mean, the likes of uh, Naomi Osaka are now coming out and, and genuinely concerned for her well-being, her, you know, uh, even if she's still around. Well, there are rumours that she may have escaped. Um, and when I mean escaped, literally escaped, got on some sort of um, plane, boat, wherever, and managed to make it to either Canada or the US. But again, that is just rumours. And the best thing for her, if she is, alive and uh, managed to escape or not in prison that is um as if that you know she just lies low and finds an official place like you know let's say an embassy somewhere and just stays there and shuts up for as long as possible 
Uh, the, the thing is, people don't realize that. I mean, I've worked in China a couple of times. I've lived in the Middle East and seen all sorts of things um, that have gone on there and, you know, been to Uzbekistan for work and all that sort of stuff. And it's very easy for people in other countries to go, well, why don't you just, you know, <laughs> go to the police? Uh, no. Why don't you just go to this? You, you just can't. Things are run via the government. And in this case, when you allege assault from a high-ranking official, um, you know, your family's in trouble. Uh, your family's power will be cut off. Your brother won't be at university anymore. In fact, he might mysteriously be in prison. You know, these things can happen. And this is just getting really intriguing. When you have a release like this come out, which is so untrue that it's extremely untrue, then you actually have to show real concern because something unusual is going on. And, uh, you know, who knows? It's just a, a literary of lies. Ah, oh, well, we'll, uh, we'll watch the space because it, it is it's very concerning and very intriguing as well. Uh, not so um, intriguing, but uh, very interesting, uh, Ross Carl. It's probably the finale for the rugby season, isn't it, uh, this weekend? Uh, All Blacks' last test match against France and the grand finale uh, here at home on Sky Television of the NPC, the Bunnings NPC. So uh, who are you picking? Waikato Tasman and then Taranaki Otago. Uh, Waikato, absolutely. Um, I don't want to go with the evil forces of Tasman um, at all. Um, but yeah, absolutely Waikato. As a county's man, they're just down the road. I'm happy to go with them. Um, and uh, then, you know, look, I can't imagine um, that the All Blacks are going to stumble like that two weeks in a row. They're going to learn a few lessons. And I think the French style suits the All Blacks better. When you look at their defensive style, they're less up in your face and more kind of up and across. So it might give the All Blacks a little bit more room to move and um, they might feel a little bit more comfortable. So I think that they might win that. Okay. And uh, we can't not let you have a prediction. Uh, You you agree there, Dave? I agree. And Finn's down now, JD. Finn's down. Okay. (laughs) It's it's directed at you, John. Uh, John, It's the last time you'll be on the panel, Dave. (laughs) 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 I only just made it on anyway. (laughs) I'm the third reserve. (laughs) No, you came off the bench brilliantly, Dave Wesley. We thank you very much for your time this morning and to you, uh, uh, Ross Carl. Enjoy uh, this weekend, this big weekend uh, of rugby. And uh, again, uh, I really appreciate your, your thoughts this morning. It's 10.42 here on SENZ. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, two or three texts have come in about the rugby this weekend. Uh, an observation saying Ireland's backs play very similar to uh, rugby league. Uh, and, of course, uh, maybe no coincidence there if that is the case because Andy Farrell, uh, as the head coach, has a big say in how they operate there. So uh, something to take into account. Uh, Ken says, Smithy Satoto and Akira must start. Cheers, Ken. Uh, which raises uh, an interesting one for me around the loose forwards, JD, is... Uh, uh, Luke Jacobson, it wasn't that long ago that a lot of people saying he was just a given. He is your number eight. Uh, Buck Shelford saying the other day, of course, that uh, he wants uh, Adi Savia at seven, um, which means I suppose you could play Akira Ioani at eight. Um, but uh, no Luke Jacobson, who last played, what, against Italy? Yeah, so I think maybe that's the issue there, Smithy, because anyone who played that Italy test kind of looked like it. they had got a line put through them. Uh, like Hoskins Satuto, I think, started that one as well. So 
I think those guys uh, who didn't do the job, did they, against Italy? I think it took them half an hour to score a point in that game and about 20 minutes in the second half to score a point. So I think the selectors looked at that one and went, nup. So we're hearing a lot of people wanting a Kira this weekend. Smithy, who'd be your loose Ford trio for this last test of the year? Yeah, look, I, I quite like uh, the thought of Jacobson. I, I, I think it depends who you play alongside as well. I think that's a big factor in there. I want to know where Sam Kane is at. Uh, is he is he even in the frame? Are they even considering him? Uh, I wouldn't mind thinking that uh, he might be around. Uh, so uh, and I, I I'd probably if if he was available, uh, I would probably go um, that like Buckshelf had one of the two open sides, so you could play Sam Kane for me, and you could uh, play uh, Adi Savir, and I would like uh, Ken won't like this, but I'd probably go for Jacobson at the back. Uh, so uh, that's just that's my way of thinking anyway there, but uh, hey, I, I doubt very much whether that would happen. Jeremy's come in and said, just wondering uh, to uh, whether your panel could discuss this, what just came in slightly late, Jeremy, for us to ask them, but what if the plan is to play a defensive game uh, using quick turnover ball and broken play to score tries? Well, we're very good at that. I mean, we are, counter-attacking, etc. Uh, that is one of our strengths. Then the rolling ball when close or expansive passes. I say this because we do actually have the players, uh, this is in Jeremy's opinion, to play tight and dominate other teams in the forwards. We play a lot of defensive forwards, they get turnovers. This type of game goes around the rush defence in a structured game if we are going 20 phases. Well, certainly the the rush defence and the umbrella defence is causing us uh, some issues as well. Uh, It will be very interesting. I I do believe, uh, John, this is a big test. Uh, for uh, the coaching abilities uh, of uh, Ian Foster, John Plumtree and, uh, and their colleagues because, you know, you have to make adjustments when you're beaten that badly. Um, you know, there's two ways to do it. You can make wholesale changes and ask people to play the same game, game plan you had but play it better or you make a, a adjustments in both areas. Uh, so for me, it's, it's just a, a, little, uh, a little icebreaker thing, a little icebreaker thing uh, for Ian Foster, uh, I, I think a very big week uh, in his. Uh, I won't say in his coaching life because his, his position is guaranteed through the uh, end of the next World Cup. But I think it's a, a big, a big jump or, or a big step in his development at making adjustments as a coach. We shall see. Uh, it's ten fifty. Uh, before we get to the news at eleven o'clock with Emma, uh, we will be talking to Louis Herman Watt uh, and uh, also a visit to the TAB and uh, I. Do believe it's Pip Morris this morning. Racing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Yeah, Louis Herman Watt with us uh, as usual. And Louis, nice to hear you had uh, Danny Ralston on the phone this morning, uh, New Zealand Bloodstock's uh, sales manager. Uh, things going pretty well on day one of that ready to run. Yeah, absolutely. Amazingly so. I mean, it's a sale so unfamiliar to them, as Danny said, uh, down at Tarapa because of the restrictions in Auckland at the correct complex. But it was awesome yesterday, and the whole median and average for day one was up hugely. So they've still got a few lots that got passed through. So the clearance rate's a bit of work to do there from what I can gather. But overall, Steve, Andrew Seabrook, Peter Vella, Danny Ralston, the whole team, they'll be thrilled. And today's day two, we start to see, you know, the, some of the guys really, the ladies really open their shoulders as from purchasing point of view. Um, some absolutely a stunning horse flesh ball yesterday. Some seven bills, not shock seven bill again, but 
um, that were purchased by a variety of different buyers and, and lots at good value for different people that do these preps for ready-to-run sales. So it's not necessarily the studs, but the river rocks, the smaller boutique kind of preparation facilities, Chad Ormsby's of the world, doing a fantastic job and all getting paid. So great stuff to them. Um, I know you've got to get off to the TAB very shortly, so I'll just quickly let you know that the markets are out for Tarapa on Saturday where the county's cut meat has been moved there for obvious reasons. And Trelawney Stud has such a strong hand to play this weekend. Vamos Speed in the county's bowl is a red-hot chance. Cheap and Divorce is the favourite in the county's cut. And in race eight, well, we've used this for our showdown bet. Two Illicit was so good at Hastings in the Red Bad Sprint. And she's going to be favourite in the Auckland Thoroughbred Breeders Stakes in race eight there at $2.70. And I think she's going to be awfully hard to beat. So Trelawney Stud with a massive hand to play this weekend. Great racing all around. And um, good to see the sales going off with that, with that itch. Yeah, good on you. Thanks, uh, Louis. Yeah, that's good news on the ready-to-runs. Uh, I like that concept. I really do. Uh, Pip Morris uh, from uh, the TAB has joined us. Uh, Pip, good morning to you. Dual action today for the Greyhounds at Cambridge and at Addington. And uh, when you when you uh, finished uh, your little segment yesterday, someone texted in and said they're very disappointed you didn't provide us with a little tip on the Greyhounds. So we're expecting something. We're expecting something today. What else? Uh, what else is on at the TAB? We have plenty to look forward to, of course, Winton Harness as well. And they've got the nine race cards. We've got a terminating pick six there for races four to nine. That's across. And then, yeah, the 14 race from Cambridge. So um, taking, hopefully, punters through that meeting today to find the winner or two. And I've come up with the best bet in that. Pedro Lee, race number 10 for Peter Ferguson, drawn box six. So unlucky last start. And he's just beautifully drawn up. So I'm happy to make him the best of the day at $2.20. Smithy. And the Shark Showdown bet, so I'm going to tell you that. He's done an NFL multi. Well, they have a five-leg as you've got the Patriots, the 49ers to win, the Titans, the Browns to all win, and then the Packers with a five-plus-five five starter there at 324 all up. Pip, thank you very much for that, and uh, we'll look forward to getting on at $2.10 uh, on that tip of the day from you. So that's uh, outstanding um, news there. After uh, 11 o'clock, uh, we shall be uh, talking to uh, Ricardo. Well, of course, uh, Ricardo is our SENZ host of Extra Time and is absolutely our football expert. So uh, we're talking about uh, the All Whites, uh, the new A-League season starting this weekend. Uh, and uh, what about uh, the Europe World Cup qualifying? Who's under pressure there? It uh, doesn't involve us, obviously, but it's certainly uh, the area of qualifying that we perhaps look at the most uh, with interest. Lots of coverage of that. So, uh, yeah, so coming up to 11 o'clock, and it's news time with Emma Olsen. Time to uh, really hone in on some football now, and uh, we're joined by Ricardo Ball, host of Extra Time for us uh, in the evenings and our football expert as well. Uh, Ricardo, let's uh, first of all start with uh, our national team, shall we, the All Whites? Uh, they've had some hastily arranged matches, uh, but they've been, I-, I think, overall damn successful. Yeah, I'd say so too, Smithy. Good morning. It's um, it, it, yeah, been some, some really good uh, results for them against Algeria A and then and against the Gambia as well yesterday morning. Um, I, I think that Danny Howe will be very pleased with what he's seen and particularly that combination of Sapri Singh and Chris Wood seems to be coming together really nicely. We saw it for uh, uh, both goals, well, for the second goal, I should say, at least yesterday. Uh, the ball through from Singh to Wood. Uh, those two seem to have a, a really good understanding, and, and that's got to be positive going forward. 
and Winston Reid back available. So whilst there was no players from uh, this part of the world for obvious reasons, uh, Danny Hay uh, has done the right thing by himself staying over there and getting this, uh, this whole thing put together. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's been a big sacrifice from Danny, you know, really, if you think about it. I mean, he went over there, um, what, two months ago, was it? Didn't have an MIQ spot, um, couldn't get one to come back, so he stayed. Uh, I, I believe he's got one now to come back for December. But, um, you know, the amount of work that he and his team have put on and over there, I think they only took three or four with him uh, in terms of the support staff, uh, has been huge. And, you know, the job that they've done... Uh, how far I think we've seen the All-Whites progress over these four matches is, uh, has been superb. And, you know, I think you have to go back. I, I was reading an article somewhere 30-odd years since the last time the All-Whites won four games on the bounce against uh, non-Oceania opposition. So um, that in itself is, uh, is a great reason to be positive about what's coming for uh, New Zealand football. Who has cemented the, of the newer players, who has cemented uh, their spot in the squad now going forward? Well, I think Joe Bell, definitely. Uh, I, I think, you know, he's got a, a bit of a Simon Elliott about him. Uh, he's, um, he's probably got a bit more physicality than that. He, he can anchor the midfield. He can sit in front of the back four. Um, he's got a bit of physicality, as I said. He can get forward. He can score goals as well when he needs to. But I think he, at only 22, is probably uh, the second, the third name on the on the team sheet, uh, you know, after Wooden and Sarpreet Singh. I, I think uh, he's done a fantastic job. And uh, I also think, uh, you know, I know that Winston has uh, been out um, and uh, with injuries and he's, and he's back now. But I, I think Nan, uh, Nando Panyaka, who we saw at the uh, Under-20 World Cup as well and at the Olympics, uh, I think he's really put his hand up. I mean, he's, he's left-footed centre-back and there's not too many of those around. And uh, every time he's been called upon, he's performed really well. I would have him ahead of Tommy Smith in the picking order now um, for the, for the All-Whites at the back. Okay, interesting, because uh, Tommy Smith has been uh, quite a fixture for uh, quite some time. And uh, on the back of on the back of the Olympics, uh, of course, which was uh, in the main a, a younger squad, uh, mm. I, I would be uh, I would be thinking that uh, Danny Hay, New Zealand football, etc., would be quite excited about the prospect of what's coming up next year with a view to qualifying. Uh, all of a sudden. Yeah, I think so too. You know, uh, I, I understand it hasn't been announced yet. I don't think. But I understand that there, there are potentially going to be two more games in January as warm-up games, and then everything points towards the international window in March as being when uh, Oceania qualifying will take place. So yeah, they've got uh, yeah, another two games to try a few things out. Hopefully, they'll be able to integrate players from this part of the world into that squad. And um, and we'll, we'll be able to see you know what the what the bigger picture looks like, and then uh, get some Oceania qualifying done. And uh, if we can get through that, uh, which you would you would argue we should, given given how we're looking at the moment, um, you know, then then it's all to play for. Um, you know, in, in terms of looking at who we might meet. Okay, so uh, Ricardo, if if we look at that qualifying process, uh, looking ahead. Uh, uh, normally that would be what home and away, but at the moment that would mm. probably be a, an away, wouldn't it? In, a, in almost like a tournament format. With the, with the Oceania one, I think so. Yeah, um, and there has been some talk that it will be hosted somewhere like Qatar as well. None of that has been confirmed yet, but I, I think that that's a, a probability, particularly with you know how COVID is in Fiji and things at the moment. So 
I, I would imagine it's going to have to be some sort of one-off tournament. Whether or not they can fit that in two weeks of the FIFA window, I don't know. Uh, they may have to do some pre-qualifying, um, and whether or not that comes into the uh, you know into that January window, and we have pre-qualifying in Oceania, and then say the top three or four teams out of Oceania then go into that uh, into a two-week tournament, uh, winner of winner of which then go progresses forward. I, I think that decision still to be made, but. You know, two weeks isn't a long time uh, for an international team and asking them to play three games in that time is, is, is pretty tight, but I think that's probably what it's going to have to look like. OK, let's uh, look then at what is going on in terms of qualifying for the World Cup at the moment, and that is some very interesting match-ups, some very interesting pools in the Europe side of things, and they, of course, uh, were played again during the week. England, a massive win. Um, but who are, the, who are the, the teams who might be just feeling it a wee bit at the moment? Well, you know, we've, we've uh, effectively um, got to the, well, not not quite to the end, but those groups have all finished now, Smitty. So that means we know who the teams are that are going to be playing, uh, that, have, that have won their groups, um, which mm. is which is good. But it, it also throws up uh, some interesting questions as well because there are some pretty big teams who haven't qualified yet. Um, they have to go through a playoff process, and the, the playoff process has changed a wee bit. So basically they have 12 teams who have finished uh, as runners-up in their, either runners-up in their pools or they have uh, managed to grab a spot through the Nations League and how they've performed in the Nations League. And they've seeded these teams. So there are six teams seeded and six unseeded. So... Portugal, Scotland, Italy, Russia, Sweden and Wales are the seeded teams and they'll be drawn against Turkey, Poland, North Macedonia, Ukraine, Austria and the Czech Republic. Uh, but in the past what we've seen is that these uh, go as a home and away playoff but that's not what's happening now because they've actually only got three spots for those teams to play for. So they, the seeded team gets a one-off home semi-final against an unseeded team and then if they win that, they play another team that's won their one-off semi-final. So potentially you could have Portugal and Italy playing off for one, one place at the, uh, at the World Cup in Qatar. That's mouth-watering stuff, really. I mean, uh, whilst it's dangerous for some of those, it's quite exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting. You know, and I think you look at it and um, they've only got themselves to blame. You know, for the example, the Italian the European champions had such a brilliant tournament. Uh, they, uh, Jorginho, the Chelsea uh, midfielder, who has been, you know, you, you put your money on every time uh, to, to take a penalty. Well, he's missed penalties in the last two games against the Swiss, which has meant that they've drawn those games, and it's meant that they uh, they they had to come down to winning a game in, against Northern Ireland in Belfast. Uh, and I know you, you think Northern Ireland, you think, well, there may be not much chop, but Right throughout this qualifying period, the Northern Irish have uh, they haven't won a lot, but they've not conceded a goal at home in the tournament, which is um, you know a superb defensive record. And Italy couldn't score against them, so they drew. Well, the Swiss won quite convincingly. The Swiss ended up topping that pool, so the Italians have really shot themselves in the foot and find themselves in a very precarious position. Would you be optimistic about England? I mean, they're through. They're through. Uh, you know, I mean they've. They're through ahead of some big names that I've mentioned, um, and they they had a they had a pretty good group. Uh, you know, I mean they they didn't have the uh, the toughest uh, the toughest group. I mean the best team they had to play was the Poles, um, and they finished six points ahead of them. They only drew two games. They won the other eight. Um, so you got to say they've, you can only beat who's in front of you. Is the old adage, and they have done that. But 
I think Harry Kane is on the wane. That's kind of how it feels. I don't know that he's the powerhouse that he was before. And I wonder about uh, when it comes to playing the big teams. Um, you know, England had a pretty good draw at the Euros. And the way things fell, they didn't really have to play, you know, one of the powerhouses until they got to the final. And then they got to the final and they really struggled uh, against the Italians. So, I, yeah, I, I still have question marks over Gareth Southgate as a coach, uh, his tactical nous and his ability to change the game. He seems to have one plan and then so that plan doesn't work. Uh, it seems to be, well, let's just keep trying plan A. Um, he doesn't seem to really have another plan. And, you know, he's got so much talent at his disposal, but it, it feels... Like he can at times be a little too conservative, um, you know, given some of the players he's got. He, he seems reluctant to trust Jack Grealish at times, which seems absurd when you look at his club form. So I think it's going to be an interesting one. And, you know, this Qatar World Cup is another opportunity for England to, to have a crack at winning a major trophy. Uh, I just don't know whether they are quite there mentally to do it. A weekend of um, international football, of course, means a weekend off the EPL, which starts again. Uh, this weekend on uh, Sunday morning our time with uh, Leicester City hosting Chelsea. Some uh, interesting matchups that one uh, included. Watford uh, hosting Man U. Uh, and Liverpool um, are hosting Arsenal and Man City home to Everton. So uh, th- for those uh, in the top bracket, um, some probably winnable fixtures, but I've had a week off. Yeah, well, yeah, well, they've had uh, yeah, they've had that that break, of course, and they've the thing that uh, the other thing that this throws up is you've got to, uh, you know clubs who are welcoming players back from potentially South America and, and you know play, players coming from long distances as well, and not all of them will be back to start. I, I'd have to double check what the UK stance is now, but for a while there, if you came back from uh, what they deemed a, 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 I can't remember the term they use now, but it was basically like a red zone for COVID. Uh, then you had to isolate for 10 days, which meant they would come back and then they wouldn't be able to play for their clubs for a week. I mean, uh, and if that happens, then, you know, that hurts, particularly the Manchester Cities, and that hurts the Chelsea's because of, of the South American contingent. So uh, we'll have to have a look at that and see what sort of teams that they put out. But, yeah, I mean, Leicester City away for Chelsea, that is a big test for them, potentially without Thiago Silva for that, and uh, Romelu Lukaku as well. So, uh, you know, that's the early kickoff, and, and that's a game that will definitely be watching with a lot of interest. And then, you know, Liverpool-Arsenal as well on Sunday morning at 6.30 New Zealand time. Uh, Arsenal, you know, had a rough start to the season. They lost their first three games, including away at Brentford. Uh, a lot of people were calling for Arteta's head, but he's really turned things around now. And Arsenal have improved. Uh, they have climbed the ladder. They currently sit fifth, so they're just one place and two points behind Liverpool. So that Liverpool-Arsenal game... And with Arsenal having one six on the bounce is going to be intriguing as well. A-League this weekend. Exciting news, exciting start. Uh, tomorrow at 9.45, uh, Melbourne City against the Brisbane Roar start the weekend. Uh, and, of course, we finish it, the Phoenix finish it uh, last game Sunday night at 8.15 against MacArthur. How do you think we're shaping up as we look to get this thing underway? I think the Phoenix first eleven is looking really good. Uh, I, th- I think they, they've got some strength there, um, but I do wonder about their depth. You know, you can have 23 players in your squad, and at the moment the Phoenix have only got 18 uh, signed, and two of those are scholarship players, so younger players. Um, and I think they, they need to do some more work in the transfer market. Uh, they three of the places they have up in their squad uh, are for imports, so that means that they can bring some players in from overseas. We've seen the MLS. 
and sort of wrap and get into their final series at the moment. And I know, you know, there's a player who I'm quite interested to see where he goes, Carlos Vela, who's been part of the Mexican setup for a long time, but he's just finished and is off contract at the LA Galaxy. He's 34 now, but, uh, you know, a, a guy like him, if we could get him for a season, would be great. Fill that creative midfielder spot. He used to play for, for Arsenal back in the day as well. You know, that's the sort of player I think the Phoenix need. And they probably need a bit more experience at the back because it's a very young back line at the moment uh, with Luke Devere and Stephen Taylor not being there from last season, of course, as well. So I think we've got a bit of work to do. But that, that, that said, their first 11 is quite strong. And I'm really interested to see how they go against MacArthur in the first game because MacArthur are a bit money bags at the moment. They're throwing the checkbook around. They've signed the best players from a, a lot of the other teams. Tommy Urich, they signed um, from Adelaide. They signed, of course, Ulysses Devere from the Phoenix. They signed Philip Curto, who's the ex-Phoenix keeper who was at Western United as well. Uh, Craig Noon, who's uh, you know been at Melbourne City. He's, he was in the team of the year last year. He's a winner. So they've signed all these players, but their pre-season has been terrible. Um, talked to Jordan Canoulis last night, who is works for SEN in Australia, and he's going to be calling the Melbourne City-Brisbane Rule game. And we had a chat to him last night about uh, how MacArthur stack up. And, you know, I think it said everything that he's worried about their back six, Smithy, which is their two hot defensive midfielders and their back four. Because they've spent a lot of money going forward, but not a lot at the back. And in four pre-season games, they've conceded 17 goals, including uh, being on the end of a 6-3 loss to Newcastle last time out. So, uh, yeah, I think there's an opportunity for the Saints to get some revenge over MacArthur in this first game too. Uh, just finally, uh, Perth Glory have actually signed uh, one of the great players of interest in the league this year and Daniel Sturridge, but he's had a bit of quarantine and uh, there's a little bit of doubt uh, whether he will actually be available, uh, even though uh, at this stage they're looking at a crowd of around 16,000, which compares to their average attendance last year of around 3,000. So a lot of interest there in Sturridge. Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, he's a he's a big name. He's played for England. Of course, he's played for Liverpool, played for Manchester City as well. Most recently, he's been playing in Turkey, and he's still only in his early 30s. So uh, it's a, uh, I think it's a, an interesting signing because you tend to find that guys who've had injury problems in Europe that come down to this part of the world, Stephen Taylor, one of them, they find playing once a week is manageable for their bodies. Uh, whereas in you know, Europe, they're having to play potentially three times in eight days, often, uh, over and over and over. So uh, I think if he can get fit and stay fit, he's a great signing for the glory. I, I, the only question mark I have for the glory is about Richard Garcia, the former Socceroos player who has played there as well. He's taken over as coach this year, and I just, I'm not sure. He's, he, it seems a bit of a punt giving him the coaching job. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Okay, Ricardo, uh, as always, thanks very much. I uh, look forward to uh, talking to you again after that first weekend of, uh, of A-League action and another weekend of the EPL. We'll uh, catch up again next Thursday. That'll be great. Thank you. Yeah, no worries, Smitty. Any time, buddy. Go well. Have a great weekend. Yeah, yeah good on you. Same to you. Uh, it is uh, 11.19 here on SENZ. When we come back, our pacing for purpose, uh, um, <coughs> our tip for the day uh, in that regard, and uh, it's uh, for Winton. Uh, we can tell you about that. Uh, also, um, yeah, a little update on where we're going in that. Uh, beneficiary for us will be Women's Refuge, and at the moment I think um, we're giving them around 370 bucks. We need to increase that, that's for sure. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. From the phone, he is in another orbit. Lazarus does it again. SNZ is pacing for purpose.
thanks to Harness Racing New Zealand. Right, pacing for purpose for us this week. As I said, 370 bucks we've got in our kitty, uh, which places us second behind the drive team who are up at 505. So uh, we've got to catch them. So uh, in earnest, we try this uh, with Winton Race 3 um, at uh, 1.59pm. Uh, and it's Nutcracker we're going for. Winton Race 3, Nutcracker. That is our pacing for purpose harness racing horse of the week. Looking for a winner there. Uh, Central Districts are looking like a winner at the Basin Reserve at the moment. The Cello Basin Reserve, I should add. Uh, day four, it's, uh, session one with the Firebirds leading by just 127 runs with one wicket in hand. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw it, but uh, if you can, have a look at the run out yesterday. Ben Wheeler pulled off uh, on the follow-through. It was quite remarkable, really. Uh, he's a left-arm bowler, and he did it with his right hand, and the quarter batsman, unawares, posing with, with his shot, uh, and went behind his, uh, the throw went behind his legs, and he actually, uh, whilst he was posing with his uh, just his forward defensive push down the ground, uh, he was uh, actually run out, just out of his crease. So uh, a little bit embarrassing, you would have to say. So that's the situation there, of course, uh, on the back of talking to Matt Henry this morning, where Canterbury are going really, really well, uh, starting to pull away in that competition. So uh, Central uh, will have to win that one, and at the moment you'd back them to do that, wouldn't you? Just 100, 120 eight runs to win at this point and all day to get them uh we've had uh, two or three texts come in uh, smithy do we know who the tab shark is well we'll find out who the shark is but i don't actually think it's one person i think the shark is like a pseudonym for a group of people who have uh, turns i think almost at, at uh, putting uh, combinations or tips together in the various sports or racing that they're in, uh, best involved in so simon uh, we'll get a, a definitive on that, but I'm not quite sure you can put one individual name to the shark as a tipster. Uh, Ken has come back in. Ken's a, a big supporter of uh, of uh, Akira and, of course, uh, Satutu, Hoskin Satutu. Uh, don't agree. He says uh, Satutu was one of the best against us. Lee, so dynamic. Uh, skill set unmatched by any other Lucy on tour, and you couldn't drop Papali'i. So there you go, Papali'i, uh, Satutu, and Akira would be Ken's choices. Uh, Cam's come in and says, why does everyone keep saying that we were badly beaten by Ireland? Yes, they played much better than what we did, but if we were awarded that try in the 70th minute, we could have gone on and won the game. Teams are getting closer to us, but that's not a bad thing. No, it's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing for rugby overall, and it's not a bad thing that they're getting close to us in a non-World Cup year because it gives you absolutely uh, a warning um, in terms of uh, where you've got to go and, and where you have to develop your game was happening uh, just uh, prior to the World Cup or very close on or during the World Cup, uh, then you would uh, be doubly concerned, Cam, so you're spot on there. Uh, I, I, it doesn't look that bad on the scoreboard. You know, it was a nine-point margin, but if you really consider um, and look at the game closely, it's the areas where we usually dominate uh, or, or at least get parity where we weren't able to. I mean, for instance, Cam, 157 tackles, I think, to 58 at half time. I mean, that is not a stat, you know, that you assume that the All Blacks will be uh, on that side of very often. Normally, uh, when they're playing opposition, uh, you would be thinking it's the other way around. So uh, thanks very much for, for those texts. Uh, more opportunity um, after uh, 11 o'clock, uh, 11.30, should I say. We're also uh, uh, looking at perhaps um, oh, a little opportunity for a chat, maybe a couple of phone calls about where you think the All Blacks selectors will go this weekend. Uh, really like to, to see a couple of 
Um, backlines coming. Give us a, a backline, for instance. What about the back three? Always a bit of a mystery. Uh, it doesn't sound as if uh, Severis did himself too many favours last weekend, uh, yet he's been one of the most industrious and busiest wingers that we've had. He never, ever does not go looking for work. And if you go looking for work, I suppose you get your hands on the ball often enough. If you have a bad day, you look bad. Uh, and that's pretty much, you miss some tackles too. Uh, but he wasn't the, uh, the only one in that regard. Uh, so we've also got, of course, the opportunity now uh, for you to win 50 bucks. Uh, it was taken away, the 100 bucks were taken away yesterday, so we're back to 50. So get on the phone, 0800 150 811, uh, and it's uh, stump smithy time here on SENZ. And in the meantime, it's news time with Emma. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yep, just the usual 50 bucks from the TAB on the line today and those Sleep Drops Daytime Revive, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements, heading to one of the most beautiful parts of New Zealand, the Carpety Coast. And Pac-Man, it's been a while, mate. Yeah, it is, yeah. It's all good. Yeah, so you're, you're still around. It's good to see. And one of the favourite sons of the Carpety Coast, Dane Coles, should he get a run this weekend? Should he start, oh. do you reckon? Oh, easy, yeah, by far the best hooker we got, I think. Um, gets, some more, gets the boys up front going well, doesn't he? He certainly does. He's got that niggle smithy. Do we need a bit of Dane Cole's niggle this weekend against the French? Yeah, I think we do. There's always about a niggle about that French front row, and I, I, I take Tony Johnson's point too. It just looked like uh, after a very long year of great service uh, that Cody Taylor might have just come to the end of it. I don't see an issue there. Uh, there's, there's not a lot between them uh, when they're both at their peak anyway. So Dane Coles with that extra leadership too, I think, will have Sam, uh, help Sam Whitelock in those crunch situations. So, yep, that would be for me. Absolutely. All right, Pac-Man, you know how this game works. Three sporting categories, you choose one, they get three questions right and you win the prizes. But if you get one wrong, you can be stumped and leave with nothing. So today your sports are golf, rugby and soccer football. Which one do you like? Golf, please. All right, why not? <laughs> Been going so good for the Kiwis, so hopefully it goes well for you, Pac-Man. All right, question number one. Phil Mickelson won a major this year. Which major did Phil Mickelson win? Uh... USPGA. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. I thought Pac-Man got the yips there, Smithy, but no, straight into the cup. Uh, he's a pretty experienced campaigner, the old Pac-Man. He's, uh, he's been, been around Parapara Umu Beach Golf Club more times than um, most people have had hot dinners, so I'm not sure he gets the yips over the short ones, but he, he just uh, it just took a little bit of time for him to register there. Yep. <laughs> Good start, Pac-Man. You're under par, so well done. Question number two. Lydia Coe's had a hell of a year. Where is she ranked in the world right now? Oh, jeepers. Oh. Take your time, brother. Right, I think it is. I'm, just not, I'm not sure. I think, it, I think it's eight. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. It is not number eight, Smithy, so a chance for a stumping. Yeah, I think she's better than that now. She's, she's skyrocketed up very quickly with the, these fantastic performances. So I'm going to say she's gone as high as number five. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the oh, slot. Get out of here. <laughs> You're gone, mate. You're gone. 
Get out of here. I've got the... I've got the legendary Pac-Man. I've got him. That's uh, Psylocke. I don't care what he's, happens now. The rest of the week. He's looking at Google. He's, he's Googled it. <laughs> I haven't got Google. Just oh, take gun. it, Pac-Man. Just take your dismissal. Oh, you owe me a pint, son. <laughs> go, 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 and take, uh, go and get a bag of balls and go and take your frustration out on the range, boy. Good luck. Cheers, <laughs> well, mate. Oh, unlucky Pac Man, you okay. have been stumped, which means we're on to our next contestant, and that is David from Christchurch. David, how are you, mate? I'm good, thanks, John. How are you? Morning, Ian. Oh, good morning, David. All right, David, uh, Smithy's got a victim, and that means it's question number three. And either you'll leave with everything or you'll leave with nothing and it'll all be jackpotted to tomorrow. So, which major did John Rahm win this year? Oh. Um. Well, we've already got one I'll out of the go. way because we said Phil Mickelson yeah. won the PGA. So, you got one out yeah, of the three chances. Right. Smithy's <laughs> getting ready. The Open? The Open Championship? Yeah. That's what I'll go for. Okay. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Oh, Smithy. No. Oh, Smithy, here we go. <laughs> He's got no, he me. Didn't, he, didn't win, he didn't win the Open, uh, and he didn't win the Masters, because Mitsuyama won the Masters, John, which really only leaves uh, one in the middle, and I believe it might have been the US Open. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Oh, two stumpings today for Smithy. Unlucky, David. It means it jackpots tomorrow, so give it another crack tomorrow. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. Have a good day. Yeah, good on you, David. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yes, that was... Um, they, they picked on the old golf, and uh, those questions, John, I think they were very gettable, to be honest, very, very gettable. Uh, and Lydia Co was the, probably the harder one of the three, but... Uh, and I will say, it wasn't a Google, it was a guess, just on the basis that her form had improved so much. I think she's improved something like nine or ten places this calendar year, which is not an easy thing to do. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I'm not sorry I, I knocked over Pac-Man, I promise you that. David, I'm a little bit more sorry for, but Pac-Man, no sympathy, absolutely no sympathy at all. Uh, when, we'll take a, a short break. When we come back, uh, we will give you an answer uh, to the question... Uh, that uh, will possibly win you 1476 bucks tomorrow. We're going to give you an answer you, uh, with Baz and Izzy in the breakfast, 8 o'clock tomorrow morning, your chance to win. We're going to give you some help uh, when we come back. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Zays and Izzy's radio frequencies. It's Bezzies and Izzy's radio frequencies. She walks real. Okay, so Bez and Izzy's radio frequency question and answer. It is uh, so. What's happening is uh, because uh, we're giving a little promotion to our Auckland frequency, which is fourteen seventy six a.m. Uh, they're giving you the chance to win $1,476 tomorrow morning uh, on the, uh, eight at 8 o'clock. So that's the situation. Listen out for that opportunity. Um, what you've got to do is answer 10 questions, uh, and that uh, for everyone you get right, you get $14.76. You get the whole 10, you get $1,476. Uh, and to make it easier for you, 
Here's uh, an answer to one of the 10 questions that will be asked tomorrow morning. Question, who are the current AFL champions? Who are the current AFL champions? Answer, Melbourne Demons. The Melbourne Demons. So uh, more answers throughout the day. Staffy will have a couple in his show this afternoon between 12 and 4. And, of course, uh, the drive people this afternoon who uh, Ricky and Beaver on a Thursday, uh, they'll have some uh, answers for you as well. So five and all we'll be giving you. You'll have to find the other five by yourself, but that gives you a great chance to win $1,476. John, a couple of uh, texts come in. Uh, we're talking about tackle counts and stats, and uh, someone has said, uh, Smithy, do you know the tackle count from the ABs Tonga earlier in the year? Of course, uh, ABs winning that by uh, well over 100 to none. John. Yeah, we do know the tackle count, and it was the All Blacks made 106 tackles out of 110, so 96%, and Tonga made 118 out of 171, which was 69%. We did within that one 102 nil. I'm not quite sure the point of the text of knowing that tackle count, but hey, there's there's the tackle count for you. Yeah, there's the answer because uh, we were talking about uh, I think the number of times or the number of tackles uh, that the All Blacks had to make and how heavily weighed against the All Blacks it was against Ireland as opposed to uh, what we normally see from them. Yeah, 238 tackles against Ireland, Smithy. That is a hell of a lot to make. And I think our loose yeah. forwards made about, I think, 20 or 30 each, which is just a massive workload, isn't it? It is, and it's uh, tough on the body. So I think that will be a factor too in who they come up with uh, this weekend. On that subject, Ken has come up with a back line for us. He says, Smith, um, Bowden, well, I'm not sure Bowden's going to be there at all. And if he's not, then McKenzie. So he's going to go past... Richie Moonga and go straight to Damien McKenzie in the 10 jersey. He's been a little bit forgotten, hasn't he, Damien McKenzie of late? Uh, Quintapaya, uh, Rico Ioane in the back three consisting of uh, Jordan, Enor and Geordie. There you go, Braden Enor, who's another possibility, I, I guess, uh, at that centre position. And it wasn't that long ago. He was an absolute standout for the Crusaders, which got him into the All Blacks in the first place. So, uh, John, what are you thinking about that midfield combination in particular? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, I think Rico st- stays there, Smithy. I'm not sure whether you can chuck Braden Enor in for this massive game at centre. Um, so, with Anton Leonard Brown out injured, of course, he'd be my number one 13. Um, but yeah, I would. Rico there and it's an interesting one with Quintu Pye. we had TJ earlier on and he's a good Tasman Markle fan uh, and supporter of David Harvey but even he said he'd go with Quintu Pye for this match against France because he's got that direct running style that we kind of need to get over the advantage line whereas David Havili's being used in that way but that's not necessarily his strength he's more of a if your forwards are on the front foot then David Havili's like a, a second pivot isn't he like great kicking game mm-hmm. great pass on him a good communicator but I think do we need a battering ram at 12 and is Quintu Pyre that guy Smithy? I think we've got to frustrate the French we frustrate them um, and deny them possession for one thing if we can. Uh, the other thing we do is we turn them around a lot, get them back go, back pedalling in into their own corners. Uh, I think that will d- uh, frustrate them into different kind of tactics and, and the unpredictability, which uh, does at times make them dangerous, I suppose. But I think that's the way we've got a common sense uh, approach it to the start of the game. Uh, we've also had a text in from Brendan saying, what are your thoughts on maybe in the future maybe moving Caleb Clark to the midfield? Uh, I keep hearing we need punch. Uh, which he offers off the wing. So could that be an option? I think uh, to a certain degree he's wasted on the wing. Um, I don't think is particularly for the Blues, I'm not quite sure they use those capabilities closer in in certain situations. Uh, his power, his strength, and you know, a one-on-one with Caleb Clark, to me, against most defenders, 
uh, is an end, an end result and a win for Caleb Clark. But you don't often see that used, particularly in the first or second receiver capacity. So I totally agree with that, Brendan. And that, one of the other interesting things about this, John, of course, is uh, we're still waiting for RTS to make his uh, debut into rugby of some form. And it looks like now that's going to come at super level rather than uh, NPC level. Uh, but we've got so many questions. Uh, Goodhue, of course, coming back. So many questions in this midfield area. It's not as if the door's been closed on RTS at all, has it? Hell no. And it looks like we almost need him more than ever because that is the jersey of concern this season. It is the 12 jersey. We've bought David Avelli or Sir Razor Robertson convinced him to play there for the Crusaders after they lost Jack Goodhue. And it took a bit of convincing, I heard, because he really does rate himself as a fullback and is a very good one. And RTS... He can break the line, he can get you over the advantage line in rugby league, but he hasn't played union for so long, Smithy. So all of a sudden, a lot of pressure on RTS, a guy who hasn't even played rugby yet in this country at first class level. So, yeah, man, we're all looking forward to RTS and we were hoping it was going to be for Auckland. But no, and in terms of Caleb Clark, I think we're lacking the power winger option for the All Blacks. We had it with Julian Sevilla for so long and then after that no one else has really popped up in that respect we've got lots of little jinkers and in Will Jordan just a guy who can create something out of nothing but what about someone who can steamroll someone and I see that in Caleb Clark and I see that in Lester Fyangar Nuku as well who can play 13 and on the wing so in terms of a power game I'd be looking at those guys Um, so yeah a lot of question marks looking forward to 5am tomorrow morning when they name that All Blacks team yeah we'll have plenty to talk about on the show tomorrow uh, discuss those options and uh, the game plan, etc., uh, on how they're going to attack the French, uh, providing, of course, they get enough ball to attack them, and that uh, would be a reversal of last week. And it's interesting when you start looking at the conjecture of the back line and the performance of the back line. Uh, when you go back to uh, what Nisbo said to us at the start of the week, uh, if the tight five had a functioned uh, to that degree and, and gained parity at least, would we all, all of a sudden be considering these changes in the back line? Uh, because they were backpedalling for most of the game and making tackles rather than advancing the game on our cause. Uh, just uh, before we get to staff here, uh, an interesting one, and you wrote in the notes on this, John, it's so far removed from rugby and the All Blacks, uh, but it did raise its uh, ugly head uh, during the Olympics, of course, and the, it brings to mind the name uh, Laurel Hubbard. Uh, and uh, to the fore on this particular issue, the IOC have uh, introduced new guidelines on transgender athletes, which is interesting. But they've also been accused at the same time of buck passing with these new guidelines, removed testosterone limits for transgender or intersex athletes and left each sport to decide its own eligibility rules. Basically, they've taken all those guidelines out, all those standards out that we highlighted months and months ago about uh, uh, levels of testosterone being below 10. Um, and now, of course, that's gone all together and said, you, you look after your own backyard, basically. You sort it out. And so that means there could be, even within actual competitions, within the same codes, there could be differentials. And it it's, it now looks, it just opens slather. It's more of a mess than it was from the outside looking in. Yeah, so the IOC obviously wanted that inclusion thing, didn't they, for the last Olympics? So they made a blanket rule for everything, and they were like, right, that's the rule, and that's the inclusion, and we're here for everyone. Uh, that is the Olympic spirit. But then they looked at it, and how can it be the same right across every sport when you've got sports that use strength and other sports that don't, and then have the same level of testosterone. So now they've just absolutely thrown their hands in the air and been like, oh, okay, 
we got it wrong, but we're not going to come up with a solution. It's up to you, sports now, to figure out yeah. our mess. So well done, IOC. You got the inclusion. Inclusion. Everyone was very happy with that. And now you've just stepped out of the room and gone, well, job done, and left it up to the sports. So well done, IOC. Yeah. Great job. Yeah, uh, potential for disaster and a lot more speculation. Uh, Staffy coming up just before midday here on SENZ.